Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111-337-706-0111. We'll have a little more time than yesterday. But uh, we will be, um, I mean, I anticipate a very fun interview with our friend Nick Fontenot, a little Pelicans update at 9.15. We'll talk McNeese, what our, the play-by-play announcer Tom Hayford at 9.35. And then more Cajun football at 10.15. We started it last week when Coach Leger, and then we had Coach Wingerter on on Tuesday, on uh, Wednesday, I should say, and then offensive line coach Jeff Nord, and I've gotten a chance to interview him a few times. Offensive line coaches tend to be like one of the more fun coaches to talk to because they're like, you know, they're really intense typically. And the offensive line was a major topic of conversation last year, and it's worlds better than it was a year ago. Uh, in terms of the health situation and the options that they have. And so look forward to catching up with Coach Norad there. Um, we are now, what, six days away from the, um, you know, I hesitate to call it a spring game because it's not going to be a spring game. Uh, but, you know, whatever. The... Um, Vermilion and white event or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what it, whatever you want to call it. All right. Last yesterday was opening day. It did not go well for the Astros. They lost three to two. Um, you know, I've been saying the whole offseason, there's no way the bullpen is going to do what it did last year. I still think the bullpen is going to be very good. The bullpen did not do well. I mean, they the the White Sox outplayed the Astros from start to finish, and yet when you lead, when you have the kind of bullpen the Astros have and you have a one nothing lead in the eighth inning, even though you didn't really even earn the run you got, they gave it to you, uh, you kind of feel like you should win. And it's two outs and nobody on in the eighth inning, and Montero threw one right down the middle, put it on a tee for Grindahl, and he hit it out. And it looked like, you know um, – the White Sox hit a double play ball. Anytime you hit a ground ball, to me, it's a double play ball. With you know, and they and it found a hole, <clears throat> and so they got some runners on base without really, you know, crushing the ball. And then Presley looked like he was going to get out of it and throws the ball right down the middle. I mean, just a fastball right down the middle to a guy who really had been struggling all day with with uh with good pitches and he throws one right down the middle so they got he hits a two-run double uh El Pedro Grande hit a long home run in the ninth <clears throat> and the bottom of the Astro order for the for the foreseeable future is going to be a challenge like why in the world was McCormick not playing like 
I don't hate Myers like Jake Myers as much as my daughter Riley does. She absolutely abhors him. And she's still trying to figure out one thing that he does well. But I certainly would not be trusting Jake Myers over McCormick right now unless there was an injury situation that I don't know about. I mean, why in the world was Jake Myers playing yesterday? I have no idea. But anyway, um, we'll see how that plays out. But the bottom of the order, with no Altuve for about two months and no Brantley for probably about a month, and hopefully he comes back after that, I'm kind of at the point where I'm going to believe it on Brantley when I see it. Um. The bottom of the order is going to be suspect. Dubon is not good. He cannot hit. Now, he's good defensively. He's not. I'm not saying he's not a useful tool, but he's just not. He's not good. He cannot hit. Uh, Not at all. Now, Candy is what he is. I I think Candy did an underrated job offensively for the Astros last year. We all know what he can do defensively. Um, but I, I, I'm fine with Candy, but Dubon is, you know, and Diaz, who knows? I mean, he, he's a complete unknown. So the bottom of the order, especially if you have Myers in there, is going to be really iffy for the first, you know, six to eight weeks of the season. And you just hope you can win as many games as you can between now and when Brantley and or Altuve come back, and that'll lengthen the lineup a little more. And then, you know, you hope your pitching can win you enough games to where you're not too far behind the Mariners, uh, you know, going, once you get into the middle of June. And if you're not, then you you should be in great shape. So that's kind of, you know, that's a lot to talk about after one game. But um, the Astros tried to – essentially they tried to steal one yesterday and they the bullpen, let you know, prevented that from happening by putting two balls on a tee when they needed to be making better pitches. So that that is what it is. Um, it was a strange opening day, I thought, yesterday. You had, what, five teams, if I'm last count, unless there was one late last night that I did but I don't think there were. There were five teams, I think, that got shut out yesterday. And then there were... You know, a couple of 10 to 9 games and an 11 to 7 game. I think that Rangers game ended up being a uh, bunch of pitchers, ace pitchers got lit. DeGrom got lit. Um, couple, Who else? There were several other pitchers that just got lit yesterday. So I was like, man, kind of, um, kind of a bizarre, kind of a polar opposite. Some teams, either the pitching was great or the bats were not ready. And then other teams, the bats were really ready. You know, the Astros game was just a baseball game. It wasn't one way or the other. I mean, Cease completely dominated the Astros lineup. Uh, Now, he's done that before for four or five innings. Normally against Cease, they're able to draw a few more walks. But he was really sharp until that last inning. Like, he he was just, wow. No, until the last inning. Still, they they were in position to steal the game, and then they put two balls on a tee, and um, and the White Sox came through there. So we'll see what happens. The little MVPs last night. It did didn't happen for the little MVPs. I think they I think the three hitters in front of Mike Trout. I think got five hits. Mike Trout got zero hits. Zero. That's not exactly the case. No, that is. The the three hitters in front of Mike Trout got five hits. Oh, well, if you're counting like eight and nine. 
Yeah. And one. Yeah. In other words, well, they got on base in front of him, and I noticed six, he went 0 for 3. They got six shutout innings from Shohei, who struck out 10, and they lose the game 2 to 1. I mean, that's just. I'll, I'll, that's I'll get, look, I'll give him a break because it's opening day. And most people, for the first couple of outings, um, you know, you you want to work your pitchers in pitch count wise. So I I'll give them a total pass. But once we get to May and June and July, I don't want to hear anything about a pitcher who's unlucky. You only go six innings. I'm not a five and six inning pitcher guy. So there is no de- complaining for starting pitchers in my mind if you only go five or six innings. Now again, opening day. In, in in early April and March, and you're on some sort of a pitch count situation, I'm fine with that. It's like Dylan Cease last night. He pitched fabulous, but it only went six innings. So if the Astros had won one nothing, then I don't want to hear, oh, they blew the game for me. No, you go more than six innings. Cat, what you leaving for? The game's not over yet. We still got three or four innings. These five or six inning pitchers, I got no sympathy for. It's great that you pitch well for five innings or six innings, but we still got a third or 40% of the game left to play. So don't, I'm not saying you didn't do, I'm not saying you did poorly. Cease pitched great. Otani pitched great. But again, this was opening day, so I'm not, criticizing them right now. I'm talking about when we get later in the season. Six in, don't, where you where you going, Cat? We got a lot of game left. So I was very glad when they pulled Dylan Cease. I would not have pulled him that quick. I, I just wouldn't have. Um but it is it is the opening day. It it is opening day. So I'll 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 give you know certainly a break. Um Framber Valdez did not pitch well. But he didn't give up any runs either. So he kind of got in and out of trouble. Um, I was a little worried about him with the shot clock because he's really mental. Uh, and he's kind of overcome his mental obstacles because he he just kind of gets – he's real emotional on the mound. Most really good pitchers are, are the opposite of that. And he had a few instances last night with the clock – um, but and he did not pitch well. But again, it was the first game and he didn't give up a run, so I'm not gonna get overly worried about that. So we'll see what happens. The baseball is doing again. I don't understand this mentality. I've never figured it out. Has anyone ever heard a reason why they do this? So like yesterday, everybody played. We made a big deal out of it. Like today, hardly nobody plays. Like, what do you need a rest for, cat? It's the second game of the season. They've been doing this my whole life. Like, yeah, why do they play a game and then they're all, well, why do you need an off day now? Yeah, no, I, I, I think the same way. Now, I, I could have, I understood it at times when it was like this team was playing the opening, opening game and no one else was playing. So it's like, well, you got to get them back on schedule. So I guess it still is like whatever. But why are we not just playing four game series and then have, it, have a bunch of teams or off start on, on Friday? Like, oh, that I, too. I don't. I, I've, I they've no done this forever. Do like it. you play Monday and then you're off Tuesday. What? Would, yeah. I'm all excited about baseball. The season's starting, especially if I get a win on opening day, and then I'm off day two. I need to be like. There's going to be times later in the year where yeah. I got to play 16 out of 17 days. Right. Like, give me an off day then, not in the now. Heat, in the heat of July, you're going to be playing, you know, 17 days in a row, but. I mean, and people sit in a room and they say, you know, I think that's a good idea. 
That, that just amazes me. Like, no, I think I think day two is when you need a day off. What? Like, I'm, I ramp up for the start of the season. I'm ready to go. I win a game. I'm all fired up, and I'm off next day two. That's just stupid. Or I lose the game. Man, I need to get a win to get this back. No, I'm off day two. So, thankfully, the Astros are not off today. Thankfully, they get a chance to beat what they used to call the pale holes. Like, you know, they get a chance to beat the pale holes today. Hopefully they get a few more hits, and hopefully McCormick is in the lineup and not Myers, and we'll see how how that plays out. All right, we'll take a timeout and hopefully talk to a very happy man on the other side of this timeout. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us, I'm guessing, a very happy man and our friend Nick Fontno. How are you, sir? I'm doing a lot better than I was doing on Thursday after they do that 20-point lead to the Warriors. But, yeah, I'm doing pretty good today. Okay, but again, you know, 20's right, Nate. Like I said, when I saw it, it was like they were – it was like 17, 18 – an 18-point lead, especially on the road, at that it's overrated how big of a lead that is. Oh, man, I don't know. And, and especially the way they were playing, Kevin, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Maybe in some circumstances you might be correct, but in that game the Pelicans were playing so well in the first half and the starters were playing so well. I just think they left the bench guys out there too long with Brandon Ingram and allowed – that 8-0 run to start the second half and just never stopped the bleeding when the Warriors made the shot. But I'm trying really hard to get good, solid perspective on what just happened as far as this uh, West Coast road swing where they went 3-1. and one. The one loss was really painful, but 3-1, and one, it's like, you know, sometimes they'll say before a road, a road streak or something like that, like, hey, if you, if you could go 3-1 and one with a loss to the Warriors, would you take it? I'd be like, well, yeah. But then the Warriors game happens and you're like, man... <laughs> But see, if you, really you focus, that game too. So a three and one on the road, the road trip is a good a good outcome. Look, it, it, you know, I, I, as you're complaining about the war, and look, I get it, I get it, okay. But as you're complaining about the Warriors' loss on a three and one West Coast trip, I, I, what comes to my mind is you can't look a gift horse in the shawls. I mean, you, you got to just take it and move on. All right, so. So am I wrong? Like you don't win a tiebreaker with the Warriors, right? Did the, did the Pels beat the Warriors at all this season? Uh, yeah, they beat them one time. I think it's, I think they're two and one or three and one against the Warriors. We beat them once. Okay, so you lose a tiebreaker with them. So I don't really think you're going to catch them, but I think you can catch the Clippers because if you look at the Clippers' schedule, they play at Memphis. They play at the Pelicans. So if you win that game, um, you know, then you're really in good shape. They play the Lakers, who still got a lot to play for. Now, they do play the Blazers, so they'll win that game. And then they finish at Phoenix 
uh, which they're trying to really get. So I think the Clippers have overall a pretty tough schedule. I think you can catch the Clippers. Yeah, and I, and I think our schedule is pretty favorable, not so much in the teams because we do play some tough teams. We play the Kings. We also play the Clippers. But I think a lot of those teams, we play the Knicks as well. I think a lot of those teams are going to be resting. Those guys are kind of uh, you're punting those games away, uh, as some people would say. So I think we're going to get good, favorable matchups. I think Brandon Ingram is just playing really well right now. I think he's playing well enough to beat most of these teams. So I do expect uh, I do expect them to to win the majority of these games coming up. And and then yeah, they'll be in good shape. I mean, it's not it's it's like we said last week. It's definitely a roller coaster game to game, week to week. It's up and down with this team, but I do think they're playing really well right now. Even in the Warriors game, I think that might have been their best game of the season gameplay-wise and chemistry-wise. I mean, they played a perfect first half. It was awesome and great to see. So they are playing good basketball right now, and I think they're playing it at the right time. All right. Last night, Brandon Ingham was 31-11-10. and 10. Uh, Is he just kind of hitting his groove at the right time? Is is it just he's far away enough away from his injuries? I mean, how do you explain his, you know, he's been having some pretty spectacular performances lately. It just seems to me like he flipped the switch. And I know that the flip the switch cliche or whatever is kind of overblown and, and overstated sometimes. But it does seem like after they lost that game to the Rockets, he just said enough's enough. And he was going to play up to his potential. We saw that last year. We saw his ability, his, his maxed out ability was pretty good last year and, and kind of carried the Pelicans to where they wanted to go. And, and I, just, I just think it was a combination of a couple of things, the loss of the Rockets waking him up and just wait for Zion stuff that everybody's been doing. It's like, all right, he think he's going to come back or he's not, but we can't keep doing this where we're losing games and not playing up to our potential just because Zion's not there. And I think Brandon Ingham took it on his shoulders and it's clear that he's that he's doing that, and, and he's playing well. Kevin, you and I have talked about it a couple of times. Where you know, well, we can't rely on Brandon Ingram to do triple doubles and thirty point games, and maybe we can. Maybe that is who he is when Zion's out because he's been doing it game by game. He's been doing it pretty much every game. The Warriors game, he played out of his mind. Last night, he played out of his mind. It's like maybe that is who Brandon Ingram is. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying that's what it is, but. He sure is doing it on a pretty consistent basis for you to be able to maybe kind of make a case for that being who Brandon Ingram is. I did want to throw in real quick, guys. The the Pels actually split two two with the Warriors, and there they have go. a they have a half game up. the The next tiebreakers conference standings they're up by a half game there. So uh, if you if you win a couple of games in the West, you could have the tiebreaker over the Warriors. Actually. And and if so, they so. beat if they beat the Clippers, would they have the tiebreaker over both of them? Uh, I believe they would if they beat the Clippers, but I'll I'll confirm that. Um, but but okay, let's get back to a previous point though, Nick. Game against the Warriors now. Like you see how big that game was and how big that twenty point and seventeen point loss is. Like such a huge game against the Warriors that they dropped. All right, but but you have would you would you admit to me that blowing a twenty point lead at the Warriors is not as bad as blowing a fifteen point lead at Houston? Oh yeah. That, that Houston, that Houston, I think, but, okay, yes. If you put them side by side, they're not as bad. And, and, and actually, I think the Houston loss has been a net pop because I think it woke them up. I mean, I don't know how much truth there is to stuff like that, but they've been, they've been a different basketball team since that loss to Houston. I think if they beat Houston, because we were all saying, well, get to those games against the Rockets, 
and and they'll and they'll go two and zero there. They have to beat the Rockets, and then they lost that first game, and it was like, okay, what is going on with this team? How how just how bad are they? How far down are they going to fall after that loss to the Rockets? And since then, what is it? Five and one since that loss to the Rockets. So it kind of woke them up. Now they they played some not so great teams, but they beat the Clippers the other night with Kawhi, even though Paul George was out. And they won last night, even though Jokic was out. I don't care about who's out. All wins are great right now. So yes. I'm, not, I'm not focusing on, well, yeah, of course you beat the Clippers because Paul Jordan's out. And of course you beat the Nuggets because Jokic is out. I'm not worried about that. Well, Zion's out, so Zion's out, so I don't buy all that stuff. But what, they do. Uh, they have the tiebreaker over the Clippers, regardless of the result of this game. But you probably won't catch them unless you beat them because they're right. already a couple games in front of you. Right. All right. So I want to ask you something, Nick. I I heard the end. I was coming back from Orlando the night that they lost that game to the Rockets that we've been talking about. And I, I had a chance. I was I, I, I stumbled across it on the air, so I listened to the end of the game because I was right around the New Orleans area for a while there for like the fourth quarter uh, of that game. And their announcer was – I've never heard a more negative announcer. Like he was – it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Now, I understand why he was that way. I could not believe it. So, as a fan, do you want your announcer to be overly negative? In other words, when you're feeling – like I, I, I still struggle. Like Bill Brown used to – was the nicest guy ever. And even when the Astros were terrible, he tried to make everything sound great. When I'm angry, I don't want you to make it sound great. I want you to be the – so I kind of get it, but do you want your guy being that negative? I want him to be that negative if it's warranted. I don't want it to be over the top. Like I know sometimes like – we'll take you for instance. You know, when, they, when the Saints are playing well, you'll sometimes – go over the top with, with something that went wrong. I, I don't want that. That seems a little bit extreme sometimes. But that Rockets game, it was time to be negative. There was nothing positive going on there in that Rockets game. And so, yeah, I want, I want that to happen. We, we've, we've had guys around here that, that, that cover the, our teams around here that, that are always with sunshine pumping, right? Everything's great. This is exactly what you were talking about with the Astros announcer. And it's just not real. It comes off as phony. It comes off as, as, as less than, than genuine. And so I, I don't like that. So, yes, when you're losing to the Houston Rockets, it's time to be negative. And so I, obviously I didn't hear what you're talking about, but that's okay. Like, I don't want you to be overly negative when it's not time. But when it's time to be negative, when I'm feeling bad and I turn the radio on and somebody's like, well, it's not that bad. That's not good for me. I heard a lot of people say that about the, the Warriors game. Well, you know, it's some Hall of Famers, and they're supposed to do that. I don't care. I feel bad right now. I want, I want somebody to help me out during this time and feel like I'm feeling it. And, and so I, I didn't hear it, but I, w- I would say if I would have heard it, I, I would have been good. That's what Buddy D used to do. Buddy D used to be our therapy on the way back from these Saints games, and he was always kind of talking for the fans. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that at all. I, I want you to feel like I'm feeling I mean, he was like, it doesn't matter because they're just going to hit a three-pointer and beat the, beat us anyway. That's the great Todd Graffanini, by the way, who was the voice of the Tulane Greenway for a while. And my dad and all, my dad and I always used to joke, we knew the score of the game when we turned him on because we just could hear it in his voice. Yeah, that's, I mean, how that's he is. great. Isn't that it's great? I couldn't believe it. But anyway, <laughs> um, and, and but anyway, I you know I I personally I think. If you don't harp on the negatives, they're going to come back to bite you. Okay. I just, I just want to throw that out there. But anyway, all right. So everything's looking great. If you had to make a prediction right now, Nick, what would be your prediction on what seed 
the Pels will finish with? Six. I, I think they're going to get the six because I, I do think they're going to have another three-and-one stretch here on this homestand with the teams they're playing. It's not so much that they're better than teams like the Kings or teams like the Knicks. You know, those are kind of even matchups. But those those teams, I think, are going to be sitting some guys out. I think for sure Julius Randle is going to sit out against the Knicks. De'Aaron Fox is probably going to sit out against the Kings. And we can't afford to sit anybody else. So we're going to be playing our full complement of players. So I do think they're going to they're going to make a good enough run. I think they're going to get to the sixth seed, which, you know, earlier in the season when we were the one seed, if you had told me six, I probably would have been disappointed. But the way this, te- this season played out, the 10-game losing streak, dropping out of the playoffs at one point, I'd be satisfied with the six. Now, if they end up in the play-in game, that wouldn't surprise me either. But they can do enough. They should do enough anyway to get up to that six spot where you're out of the play-in game and you're comfortably in the playoffs. And so, you know, I'll take that if you give it to me. They better not use the method from last night. It was great with B.I. did and McCollum at 23. But they not, sometimes when you play real well, you have that third score, like maybe off the bench it has 15 or 16. It, it can't just be about B.I. if they're going to go 3-1 right. and, and that's fair. Okay, one more question. Before we let you go, right now with the Saints, well, most of us are confused. If the Saints came to you and said, Nick, who should we pick in the in the first round? What would you say at this point? Well, I know I know what I don't want, right? I don't want that Aaron Donald comparison guy from Pitt. I don't know his name. But I, I just I just think if he went to any other school, I don't even know if he would be a first round pick. So I don't <laughs> I don't want that guy, but really, it's, it's just like I said last week, Kevin. It's, it, it, anybody, it, we have so many needs on this team. As long as you don't take a quarterback, I could make myself okay with anybody. And most most seasons and most drafts, I'm not like that. Most drafts, I either have a, a certain a certain position that I want to target or a certain player that I want to target, and, and that's just I'm not there yet. I haven't figured out which guy I want or which way I want to go because I just think. They have so many needs. Whatever they draft is good. I mean, what do you think about that philosophy? Like, it's just there's so many needs. They can pick anybody, really. Well, I, I don't want a quarterback. I don't want a cornerback. I don't want a kicker. I don't want yeah. – I don't <laughs> think I want a wide receiver – but I, I would be like you said. I could I could be talked into a wide receiver. I don't think I want the the more I the more the longer we go, the less I'm enamored with the defensive tackle situation. I don't know why. I like I was like gotta have a defensive tackle. The closer we get, and they've signed two, boy, he better be really high on your board to pick one. There have been so many drafts where I leave the draft and I go, what are they doing? Why did they pick that guy? Like a Peyton Turner. What are they doing? Right? I don't think they're going to make that pick this year. No matter who they pick, I'm not going to leave saying, what are they doing? I might disagree. And, or and, pick, and I, I don't I'll really go. know that I want a linebacker in the, four, in the, fir, in the first round because I don't know how good these linebacker crop really is. So I think about, you know, linebacker, cornerback, quarterback – I don't. I don't want any. I wouldn't say I want anything because I certainly don't want those positions. And I really am. The longer I we go with this, I really don't think I want a defensive tackle anymore in the first round. <laughs> you're, you're narrowing it down week by week. You're getting closer. Yes. To having one specific. <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of scary. And I tell you what, if they draft a tight end, I'm not going to be thrilled because I'm telling you, there's there's some special tight ends in this draft. 
but I'm kind of impatient right now. And, and and tight ends, when you draft early, require patience. Yes. Patience. Yeah. And right now, I want impact. I don't need more patience. I've been I've had to endure too much in the last two years. I so. agree with you there. They yeah. they have to they have to pick somebody that can impact because like like we had said earlier, I do think they're going for it. And so this first-round rookie needs to be somebody that helps us go for it. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, I appreciate your time, sir. Hopefully things are still good when we talk next week. All right, Kevin, thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. We go from lots of crazy Pelican talk with our friend Nick to talking some McNeese. Mr. Tom Hafer, how are you, sir? I am great. I hear it is Dawson's 24th birthday. It, it, yesterday, I think it was. But, yes, he's yeah. – um, he is, um, you know, he tried to keep it secret, but he was unsuccessful. Well, w- word leaked. I heard it on uh, RP3 yesterday. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you tell Dawson that uh, he's 24. I have ties that are older than him. That oh, I, I definitely wear. do. I still have the first tie I've ever owned, which from 1980, my freshman year in high school, the first tie I ever bought as a freshman in high school, I still have it. Wow. So, yes. That is awesome. Did I, I, was it a big wide one from the disco days? No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't a disco tie. No, I wouldn't go there. It was, it's, it's fairly conservative, believe it or not. All right. I, I so, the, uh, McNeese, let's start with baseball. I'm sure last week was a little disappointing. You, you never like to lose a series, even though your one of the losses was 12 innings. But – do you get the sense early on it's going to be a tight race, or how do you look at that so far? Yeah, they they really felt like they should have at least won two out of three. They had a crazy game where they had, had a runner picked off in extra innings. They had the winning run, uh, rounding third, and tripped and fell and was tagged out. Um, so they really felt like that that game was, you know, just one that had uh, the baseball gods did not smile upon them and they lost it and ended up losing two out of three. Uh, they're playing at Houston Christian. It's a team they ought to beat uh, at least two out of three, maybe sweep. And uh, and they're, you know, it was it's interesting. They're still finding those roles. We talked about it last week. Coach uh, Coach Hill said no, he, he doesn't really. Have, he hasn't settled on the roles. And it's amazing to me that they're more they're more than halfway through the season and not settled on some of those things yet. Now, Houston Christian, who was, for those of you who said, that sounds funny, they were Houston Baptists forever, but the, the, and they're coached by Lance Berkman, and they are 3-20, and 20, but they're 1-2, and two, and they beat Incarnate Word, who, not a great team, but they're like a 13-12, and 12, 500 team, so they're not an awful team. Uh, and, and so I guess you got to take them seriously, but you almost need a sweep, it seems like. It, it really feels like the... It, it's one of those series you you feel like you should sweep. They won, the, I think it was the last game of the series, uh, seven to six, in a big comeback uh, in the in the last inning to to do that. So uh, 
they may be feeling pretty good about themselves right now that they finally got off a big schneid and, uh, and won a you know won a conference game and have some things to look forward to. But from the McNeese perspective, they're looking at it the other way that this is a team they should beat. On the flip side, on the softball side. Man, that you know, I, I just noticed by the way, court like the Cajuns and uh, and McNeese have the same record, and they're playing each other uh, next week in, in Lake Charles. But you know, you're you're it's only two series in, but you have a two game lead on the second place team. You're up four in the loss column on the third place team, and you're playing uh, on the road this weekend against a team in Lamar who's not that much better than Houston Christian is in baseball. So McNeese, two series in, are threatening to run away with this conference. It seems like. Well, they have been really, really strong here lately. Uh, in conference, in the two conference series, they have scored 42 runs and allowed one. And they have uh, they have four consecutive shutouts going with the three games against uh, Texas A&M Commerce last weekend and then a shutout of uh, Sam Houston State uh, in Huntsville uh, on Tuesday night. So, I mean, it's uh, the, the pitching's just been crazy good here the last couple of weeks. Is that even – I mean, I think you thought the pitching was going to be good, but it sounds like it might even be better than what you thought. It is. It's better. And Ashley Vallejo got off to a, a little bit of a slow start. Some of that was the fact that she was going against all of the really good teams when McNeese was playing the out-of-conference schedule and, and they were playing some, some really strong schools. So her, her record and her, uh, her ERA and the, the other stats were a little higher uh, you know, not quite as good as you might have expected. But Whitney Tate has been so brilliant. Um, she's thrown two consecutive shutouts. Um, and the depth, they are definitely four deep at pitcher. And really, realistically, they could be five deep. They just, there's not enough games to throw five pitchers in women's softball. So uh, uh, Vallejo's pitching very well. Um, uh, the, uh, Tate has just been brilliant. And, uh, and they're, they're, uh, they're on a roll, and they hope to continue with this weekend, I would think. All right. Before um, I let you go, I know it's not ba- – well, it's technically basketball season. We've got the Final Four going on, uh, women's in Dallas and the men's in Houston this weekend. But I, um, as good as the softball and baseball teams are, I'm sure most of the buzz in, in your uh, part of the state right now is about the new basketball coach. Like, I don't know that anything has really happened or has something tangible happened, um, you know, that you maybe we could discuss. Like, it just seems like it, it, it's – I'm sure it's added just an infusion of interest and excitement and intrigue and all that stuff. Yeah, Coach Wade is really doing the circuit. You know, he is out shaking hands. He is going to every event you could imagine – they're having meet and greets with him. He's doing it right. And, uh, you know, for instance, last Saturday, um, he was at the softball game. Just walked in, you know, casually, and people started noticing that was him and going up to him and talking, and he's introducing himself. And, and that's, you know, that's uh, it, it's an obvious thing to do, but he's doing it very well. And they're having all kinds of different events featuring him. They're selling those floor seats that they created, and those are going for a couple grand each. So uh, that's working out. Um, now, you know, there are guys that are leaving the program that have uh, decided to enter the portal. Some of that is to be expected. Uh, some of it is was a little less than expected. But uh, Coach Wade's got four or five guys. He, I'm sure he is shopping around. He is, uh, as as people drop out of the uh, the NCAA tournament, that means more of the guys that he wants to bring in are available, and 
talking about getting into the portal, and those assistant coaches he's going to be bringing in are going to be available and now able to talk about who they might want to recruit in. So all of that's going on in the background of uh, – uh, of uh, you know, with the with the tournament going on, and with with Coach Wade, you know, planting his seeds here in Lake Charles. Well, like Coach Napier used to say all the t- time, not all attrition is bad attrition. So, just kind of keep some of that in mind as we go through this transfer portal yeah. era. And so it kind of is what it is. So again, we, we knew that the Diamond Sports for really the Cajuns. LSU, we talk a lot about, and McNeese. Uh, the diamond, it's a diamond sports state, and the diamond sports are doing very well in all of them. So we'll, I'm sure that'll be continuing when we talk next week. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, Kevin. Always enjoy it. Appreciate it. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Got a few minutes left. If you would like to get in, the game hotline is 706-0111, And, um, you know, we got lots going on. It's a Final Four weekend. want to remind you, LSU women will be on the air. Pre-game begins at 5.30. Tip is set for 6 o'clock tonight. It'll be right here on the game uh, I got a chance to hear a little bit of the LSU Tennessee game it's just baseball is so you know it, you can just it, it's a I guess you can see it coming in all the sports but you can just see it coming sometime in baseball like the inning last night it's two outs and nobody on and the Tennessee first baseman makes an error and you're like it's just you can just see it, and then the next guy gets a little uh, hits a ball that should have been an out, and it wasn't. And then you hit the next, and, and it just builds. It's just amazing how momentum is. It just it can it can and it can happen so fast, like two outs and nobody on, and you don't hit two balls out of the infield, and then boom. I mean, it's just it's amazing how momentum can go, and. It's why you got to, you know, defense is so important. And I was thinking about it when Tom was talking about how McNe and again, I, I haven't, I didn't see any of those games, but I didn't, um, but, but I was just thinking as Tom was talking about how great McNeese's pitching is, and I'm sure the pitching has been outstanding, but it's hard to put up that many zeros unless you play really good defense as well. I mean, like last night, the Astros played terrible defensively. Now, they did throw out a runner at third, which was good uh, by Dumont, but you got you to be able to play defense. You got to catch the ball in the major yeah, leagues. Yeah, you got to catch the ball. Got to catch the ball. It is uh, that, that certainly is, is not. And again, it's the first game of the year. I, you know, I'm not belly aching or nothing, but I'm, I'm just saying you got to, you, 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 you certainly have to catch the ball. Now, Jose Abreu, the ball went right through his legs. 
can't can't be having that. Like and and look, Yuli's done that a few times. It's not like you you know because Yuli has a former Gold Glover doesn't mean he was perfect. Yuli let balls go through him a couple times too, but that better not again when when it's the first game of the year and you get a new free agent first baseman. You know when he's played against the Astros. And that's really my only frame of reference. I don't watch a lot of White Sox games. I mean, I can see his statistics and his highlights, but I don't, unless you watch a game, you don't really know how a player is. But in your first game and the ball goes through his legs, I mean, I can't be having that. Got to play defense. So we'll see how he progresses defensively. By the way, you don't see this a whole lot. And I don't even know why they're doing it. I never asked. But the Cajun softball today is playing a big series. We've talked about it quite a bit earlier this week uh, with Bobby and, and Coach Glasgow. But they're playing a, star, a big series at James Madison. It starts at 1 o'clock today. Like, and they say that was um, they're trying to air everything on ESPN Plus, baseball and softball, so they, they tried to split them. I think that's oh, what so they're said. doing baseball tonight, and so they wanted to not – that's what I didn't. I think Bobby might have mentioned something about that, but yeah, it it is strange. I mean, that's that. I would imagine that makes travel a little more difficult as well. But, but doesn't everybody have that issue? Yeah, I don't know. Well, the Cajuns have had instances where they just picked one or the other, and they didn't televise the other one. That could that could so be it. That maybe could be they it. So yeah, they're both. just trying to do everything. James Madison is, um, you know, they're they're a program that. Again, they got a lot of money. There's a lot of interest. Uh, they got a lot of fans. Um, it's so you know, I, I guess I guess that makes sense. And then and then because of travel, the the Sunday game is normally the earliest one. In this series, it's gonna be the latest start of the weekend. And because they're they're gonna be getting out so late, the Cajuns won't better fly out that night. So. They're, they got a game in, in Lake Charles on Tuesday. They're not going to be traveling until Monday to, to get back here uh, from from Virginia. So that that that's kind of a little dicey situation. But it will be very interesting to see how the Cajuns do in, in that James Madison series. The baseball series starts here tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, more traditional time, 6 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and – App is a team that scores a lot of runs. As I said, in 15 of their 23 games this year, somebody has scored double figures. Think about that. That's a lot. 15 out of 30 out of 23 games. In 15 of them, somebody or both, in several instances, both scored double digits. Like they um they you know they lost to Campbell 16 to 15 they beat Georgia State 15 to 14 i mean there's several times where they both scored double figures but man they are used to wild and crazy i bet you their games don't last 2 hours and 35 minutes or you know the the Cajuns have played a lot of games this year where it goes 220 and 218 and 222 and in that range man they app must never play games like that uh it's just crazy so in other words, expect the Cajuns to score a lot of runs and maybe give up a few. You know, it may be very similar to the South Owl series, although this park is very different. Like, 
it's hard to, you know, you can score runs in this park, but you got to do some running. You don't going to get a, you're not going to hit a lot of home runs at Tigmore Field. You're just not. It's just, it's it, the ball doesn't always carry there, and even when it does, it doesn't mean it becomes. It's not a popcorn park at all. So, um, could be high scoring. We'll see how that plays out. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. We're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, now's a good time. Again, we're going to be talking to Cajun offensive line coach Jeff Nord at 1015. But after that, the game hotline will be open then as well. So if you have any reactions, opening day of Major League Baseball. We talked about that a little bit in the first hour. Uh, if you have any reactions or predictions I should say going into final four weekend or analysis certainly feel free there LSU with a big win over Tennessee last night again it's you know it it, it was meant as a um, football analysis but Gerald I remember telling me years ago and it comes up time and time and time again more games are lost than are won is is kind of the way he looks. Most of the time, someone doesn't really win the game. Someone just blows it. And if you're Tennessee last night, you're thinking, man, like I was just saying, you had two outs and nobody on, and and they scored three runs in the inning. And with, you know, one of them was an error and one of them won, but you could argue they were both errors or misplays. And so you got to execute, and 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 if especially on the road against a great team, I mean, the more chances you give them, you give someone five outs in an inning or four outs in an inning, and uh, pretty good chance they're going to make you pay. And Thompson certainly did that to the Vols last night. So um, we'll see what happens in Game Two of that series. And we've talked about at the end of the last hour the the. Uh, UL situation, Diamond Sports-wise, uh, the base softball team is in Virginia at 1 o'clock today. Baseball team at home against someone from North Carolina uh, at 6 o'clock. So we'll see how things go there. So, Dawson, did you, um, do you, uh, did you uh, disagree or agree with my pos- the positions when I was talking to Nick that I've kind of eliminated in my mind as far as I don't want the Saints to pick, or do you think my list was too extensive? Um, on kicker in the first round, I'm definitely out on that. You're right on that one. Um, punter? Yeah, punter too, for sure. That one's close, but yeah. Quarterback? Yes, quarterback. Um, Cornerback? I would agree there. The one defensive tackle is the one I'm, I'm still – I'm still caught on. I understand it because I'm definitely – I've said it. I'm more – I want an edge rusher now. I want somebody – and maybe not – it doesn't have to be an edge rusher, but somebody who can rush the passer at least situationally. 
Um, and whether that's a linebacker who can do both, that's fine. But I want somebody who can rush the passer. But if it's a defensive tackle who's a really good pass rusher as well, maybe can slide out in certain situations. Like, that's the other thing about Kind of like Peyton Turner? Yeah, but a little more polished player out coming out than him is what I would say. Um, a guy who maybe has a chance to make an impact right away. Um, and to help, and, and I'm not saying that means I don't think Turner's going to play this season, but I mean some. I just mean situational pass rush help because I just am not banking on Cam Jordan playing 85, 90% of the snaps the way he has most of his career. I just, I'm, I'm accounting for some drop-off there. So that's why I want somebody else who can at least, in certain you know, third-down packages or whatever, can help out in that, in that part of the game. What, what do you have more faith in? Cam Jordan being Cam Jordan or Michael Thomas playing? Cam Jordan. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just... And what do you have more faith in? Michael Thomas playing or Peyton Turner being a viable member of the defensive front? Oh, man, maybe, maybe Peyton Turner. <laughs> He better. He better be good. Yeah. You know, again, I wonder I I understand that us as fans and media members look at things very differently. Like a Jeff Ireland or even, you know, the head coach mm-hmm. probably never says, although maybe they do. Maybe a few do. Look, man, I have had we have had no luck with Michigan and Notre Dame and Penn State like I think. Like I'm done with those schools. Like, any any free agent that the Saints want to pick up from the Jets, by the way, I'm all for because we've had great success there. So they, I'm thinking that most of them don't think that way like I think. But, I mean, how many times can you pick defensive linemen early? And I'm talking about the same group and have bus to keep going back to that well, well. I don't know if they ever say, oh, I'm not picking Michigan guys anymore. But I do think relationships get formed with, people in those organizations and the saints clearly have good relationships with Ohio state, for instance, where they, they, they feel probably pretty comfortable whether it's, I don't, and I don't know if it's, you know, the athletic director or coaches or whatever, where they talk to guys and probably feel pretty good. And I guess for whatever, you know, and now Ohio state's had some coaching turnover in football, but it would seem like Mickey Loomis and those guys feel pretty good about when they go and say, Hey, what, what do you know about this guy? The coaches give them the answers they're looking for because they have, Selected Ohio State players often. And, and it turns out, out that way. Almost every time. Yeah. yeah. And there's a worse program to, to dip into on a repeated basis in terms of talent. I mean, most years, Ohio State's in the top three in the country and most right. talented rosters. So you could do a lot worse than that. Plus, they have beautiful uniforms. I mean, it's just, you know. I've always thought that. Even the did you did you not think that when the when uh who was it Virginia Tech was playing the women were playing Ohio State in the last round? I'm like, man, even in even in basketball, the uniforms look better than just about everybody else. Yeah, I I, the football uniforms. I don't I don't love the uniforms, I love but I love the helmets. I love and and in basketball, I do like the I like what they do a lot with the script Buckeyes and stuff. Their baseball uniforms are good too. They just oh yeah, I don't very think good. They win I, much in baseball. Yes, but. absolutely. I, you know, I, I I hate when they wear that black junk because that's not their colors. But when you know, I, I've just always loved their their football uniforms, and it does transfer to the other sports as well for sure. So, Contravius Contavious Street. Again, here we go. Ex-Saint playing for the Eagles. It's amazing, this Eagles-Saints thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's it, 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 it's, it's strange. Now, you know, most, you know, I remember thinking Street could be a viable. He, and he had a few moments, but he wasn't really good. Uh, the Eagles are pretty good. Right. I, I was a little surprised by that sign. Yeah, no, I, that one's even more like I just think that's got to be coincidence or, or maybe there's something to it, but, you know, and there's not like a lot of, there's not a lot of Saints Eagles connections coaching. It's not like, you know, it's not like Sirianni was from the Sean Payton tree or anything like that, but it's it's a it's a it's a large number to where it's like Yeah, wow. it's a lot. It's a lot of Eagles Saints stuff. So, again, so you want a linebacker in the first round? If he can rush the passer situationally, sure, that's fine. I just want somebody who can get pressure on the quarterback. Right. But I'm but like I was saying earlier in the week, if it's not Nolan Smith who runs like a 4-3 and some people have him available when the Saints pick. I've even seen some people mocking him to the Saints. But I think a 4-3 pass rusher is not going to be there at 29. I don't think. Yeah, un- unlikely. You want another big guy? I mean, you would be comfortable with picking another. And again, I'm not saying I would hate it, but like, are, are we really going to get another big defensive end to quote-unquote rush the passer when that has not been working? Well, that's why I, I would, you know, and I don't have a name for you because I haven't done that much homework on it, but I, a combo, a linebacker who can drop back but also situationally rush is what I would be fine with. Um, so it doesn't have to be a guy that's just going to sit behind Peyton Turner and or Cam Jordan on the depth chart. Maybe he situationally fits into that third linebacker role. Uh, a guy like Caden Ellis, you know, that skill set, because Caden Ellis was pretty decent when he rushed the passer last year. He was able to get some sacks, so... Like that type of player, maybe with a little bit more pass rushing ability and doesn't have to be quite as good in drop back situation as Ellis, but like that type of guy that can just add to the depth of the defense, but you know, is going to play for me in your right. Work. But isn't that more of a second or third round pick than a first round pick? Perhaps that's that's possible. Yes. So what I'm saying is I'm eliminating a lot of positions here, logically speaking. Well, I mean, if we're going on history, we can eliminate everything except offensive line and you know, maybe defensive end and. Receiver, running back, kind of, but almost only in certain years. So, I mean, it's all kind of trending towards offensive line, I feel like. The problem is it's not a good year for offensive linemen. Again, yeah. this the more I look, and I know next year we're going to really get, but the more I look into this draft, it's getting more and more complicated because it's not a good year for offensive linemen. Now, maybe a guard, but like offensive tackles – there's going to be a couple of the the elite ones are going to go early, and after that, there's not a lot of depth. There was more depth at offensive tackle last year than there is this year, and could they just pick Osiris Torrance or some other guard? Maybe so, but are they really going to pick a guard in the first round? I don't know. So it's um, I'm saying I, what I'm saying is when I hear it could be anything, I'm kind of fighting back against that because to me the 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 list is I think we're all more confused and un, unsure of of a of what to predict I agree with that but I think the options are actually shrinking as the time goes on let's go to the game hotline hello thank you hello. Hey, I was going to ask you actually uh, how you how you would feel about if they were draft Osiris Torrance but I mean I, I I'm okay with it just because put, right 
just because I don't, you know, the Pete has been an enigma for years now, so I don't know what the – and Ruiz is from Michigan, so is he going to continue or is he going to end up being dis- – I, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay either way if they draft him or don't. Yeah. Hey, how far do you think uh, Jalen Carter is going to fall? Every time I, I, I read about that guy, it's always something negative. I, I don't know, man. It, it just seems like he's going to fall far. I, let, I, I don't let's, know. Let, I mean – it's. It, I brought that up earlier, uh, maybe last week or earlier this week. I think it was last week. A month and a half ago, if you said, again, I'm not. I don't know that I'm there now, but a month and a half ago, if you said, okay, the Saints could have any player in this draft, who would you pick? And I would have said Jalen Carter. So now that. All this stuff has happened where he was involved in this incident, although I think he's been really pretty much cleared legally. And he followed that up by being out of shape and not ready for the combine, which is not a good Mm -hmm. look. And I'm sure there are a few teams that have said, oh, I don't know if we're going to draft this guy. But so, like, I still think it's really far-fetched that he would fall past 15 for the Saints to even think about trading up for him. But it is something that two months ago we wouldn't have even thought, and now you can kind of think that. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> this would be funny, right? I, I don't know. You know, I, I think they're interested in that Ohio State wide receiver and the Jigba or whatever. Yeah. Wouldn't it be something if we trade up and got that dude? I mean, how many Ohio State wide receivers can we have on this team? Uh, Look, if know. they draft it's- him at 29, I mean, I'm not going to be upset, but but – but you cannot trade up for that guy. I mean, eh. I don't know. Everyone's like, I know he had he was injured last year, but like they keep talking about they keep talking this dude up. Like he's really special. Um, one more thing. Did you see uh, like Keishawn Boudet Boudet his uh his pro day video or whatever? I Man, know. that dude looks like I don't know. It's just when before this the season started. They were talking about him being the first-round wide receiver. No. And it's just like, how far is he falling? You know? I, I, I I, just, I, I, absolutely, yes. It, it's crazy. It's sad. All right, Kevin, we appreciate it. Thank you. We'll take a timeout. Come back, shift gears. UL offensive line coach Jeff Knorr next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And, of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. And, you know, what kind of safe fan are you? Look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL offensive line coach, Mr. Jeff Nord. How are you, sir? Doing great. 
I bet you are. You know, I remember last year, all the pressure was on you and the offensive line, and it was kind of, you know, that's a lot of injuries and really shorthanded. And and this year, you have a lot more depth and all the pressures on the quarterback situation. Well, I'll tell you what, yeah, it, 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 I knew last year we were going to kind of, you know, have to go through some growing pains and, and really rely on some guys to play some significant reps that, that really weren't ready at the time. But, uh, you know, looking at where we're at right now, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely going to pay off. Now, when you have more depth and more guys who are not sitting out like you kind of had to go through last year in the spring, how much more have y'all been able to get done as an offensive line unit to get to that five equals one thing than y'all were able to do last year? Well, it's, it's from where we're at right now in spring, you know, the, the fact that we've had a lot of guys that, that now have experience um, and, and just given the dynamic of the room, it's made it more competitive. And, and, and that, that's been the biggest thing. The biggest thing that I wanted going into spring was, you know, you know, I want guys coming in the room every day. I want them fighting for opportunities, fighting for reps, and um, and they've done that. And it, it's really, I think that alone is is what made us kind of get better and get more developed as we've gone on here the last you know eleven days. Okay, so tell me about guys like. Uh, Quentin Williams, who was not a big part of last year, but and, and maybe what he could do. King McGowan, who was injured last year, and maybe what he, uh, you know, those guys kind of entering the picture here. How have they fit in, and, and and what what could they do down the road? Well, I'll tell you, you know, you, you start with Quentin Williams. You know, he's a guy that came in at the start of last summer, and you know, getting in here really kind of learning the system. Uh, you know, learning our process and how we do things, and. Uh, you know, he did get to play in a couple games last year, which was good for to get him in. But he has overall been the biggest surprise for us this spring. I mean, he is he's playing more physical, his uh, consistency in production. Uh, I've been able to play him on the left side and the right side, so he's developed a lot of versatility for us. And uh, he has got everybody on this staff really, really excited about how, you know, how far he's come in such a short time since he's been here. And uh, and so I, I think that uh, he's a guy that's definitely worked his way in the mix uh, to be one of those five. And uh, you know, going back to King, you know, you know, you know, King had a great spring uh, last year, and it was really unfortunate that you know he, he got hurt and uh, you know had, had to miss the season. But uh, you know, he's really bounced back. Um, you know, I, I thought he did a really good job with attacking his rehab and getting himself in a position to where. You know, really from spring day one, he could compete at a high level, and and I've been really impressed with with how he's come, uh, given you know the unfortunate circumstance he was in this last fall. I've been really impressed with how he's been working and how he's consistently gotten better. You know, not only as a run blocker but as a pass blocker. Other guy that I thought showed some signs at times last year uh, was George Jackson. One, do we? know yet or do y'all know yet like is he a guard or a tackle or and 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 how does he fit into the you know maybe being in the top five or six picture so he again he's another guy that's in the mix you know george is 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 another guy that's really done a great job with his physical development you know he's gotten a lot stronger uh since last season and uh you know he's a guy that last season you know had to play both guard and tackle you know given our you know injury situation up front and uh, and so he gave us a lot of versatility with him. You know, this spring he's played a little bit of guard, but mostly at tackle. 
just because I want to kind of help push his development a little bit further along by keeping him more, you know, isolated in one spot. And uh, but uh, again, the, the, the competition up front is going to keep going all through the summer and fall camp. But but overall, you know, those guys have have really put themselves in position to be you know legit contenders for you know for those spots. You know, y'all have always played a lot of offensive linemen if you have the option, you know, the bodies are healthy enough in terms of shuffling in and out. Have you ever had, I mean, you know, you can play multiple running backs, multiple defensive ends. Can can, can you really kind of have a platoon situation at a right tackle? Can that work or is that not really an option that you want to explore? Well, we're, we're going to try to play some guys. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in that. I've done that at several spots uh, that I've been at. And uh, really, what you, you want to do that because you want to develop experience. You know, the, the worst thing that can happen it was, God forbid, you have one of your starters, one of your top five get hurt, and then you plug and play a player that's never had any, you know, game reps. And, and really, you know, when the game's not on the line, when they're just going in for cleanup duty, that, that's really not a good realistic situation, all right? And and so I like putting guys in early because you know hey again if you got to play them you know they've got experience uh, they're ready to go you know you know you can count on them um, now do I want a consistent rotation all the time no I I want to find five guys that are going to be you know our base core group the guys are going to get the majority of the snaps and and uh, you know I want those guys to have you know a continuity amongst themselves so that's one thing that last year that I thought that we lacked up front and I think that hurt us kind of as the season went along and, and, you know, that's one thing that I think that as soon as we get it solidified, who the top five guys are, then we can figure out, okay, who's our top six, top seven, the top eighth guy. All right. Now, how are we going to fit them uh, in, in the game? All right. So if I had to list, I don't know the top four or five guys that I've heard the most from, whether it's coach Des or players or other coaches, and the top three may be Landon Burton. So, I mean, it's, you know, certainly we know about Landon Burton. He played at St. Thomas More. He's been in the program for several years. He was injured last year. And, man, there's a lot of positive talk I've heard about Landon Burton. So what has he done in camp that's kind of opened so many eyes? So the biggest thing is, you know, his, his leadership qualities. You know, again, everything, everything up front starts with the center. You know, he, he's basically the quarterback of the O-line. And I think he's gotten a lot more uh, consistent with, uh, you know, properly IDing everything. He's been very decisive. Uh, his movements are a lot better. You know, even though he was hurt last year, you know, I, I try to to pick spots throughout games that that we could get him some some game day experience. Uh, but even with his with his injury, um, you know, he, he was still limited in some ways and. And uh, this spring, he has shown you know no limitations physically. I mean, his movements are great. I mean, he's playing with power. I mean, this guy. I've been very fortunate in my career to have been around a lot of really, really good centers. And I'm telling you, I think Landon Burton's going to be a great one. So, is he a bigger, stronger uh, Shane Vallow? Yeah, he is. He's he's about a, uh, probably about an inch or two taller than Shane. Uh, has a little bit longer uh, arm length. Uh, he's you know, you know, Shane was super, super smart and savvy at that position. And Landon, from a mental aspect of the position, is really quickly uh, getting to that level. Uh, that's been the thing that's really impressed me the most this spring about him is his football IQ and his ability to process, 
you know, different things and movements on the run at, at, a, at a very quick level. Uh, but, uh, man, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm fired up about where Landon's at. And uh, I definitely think that, uh, that it, 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 as long as he keeps progressing, you know, at the rate he has been this spring and carry that over to the summer and fall camp, he, he's going to be a big-time player. All right. Another name that consistently has been said, not like I was talking about Landon, but since last season he was kind of – Coach Dez is consistently mentioning him, and I don't know that I've ever really noticed him – play a whole lot, and yet his name is still there. And it, He was a freshman last year in Caden Morrow. So what has he showed that consistently, even though he's a young player, his name gets mentioning as a prospect for like the top six or seven there? You know, so Caden is, is, is always had great movements. Yeah, that's why we signed him. You know, he's got good size. He's got really good movements at that size. You know, he's he's gotten a lot stronger. Um Ever since he came in last last summer, so he's his physical development has been great. But you know the biggest thing about freshmen they come on campus. You know the, the biggest thing is you, you got to learn the plays, you got to learn the system, and uh, you always tell young guys the fastest way to get on the field is to know what to do. And uh, and he knows it. Um, you know he's a really smart guy, and uh, and he he processes things very quickly, and uh, and really. That's been the biggest thing for me with him is, you know, when he goes out on the field, I know he knows what to do. He's going to go the right way. He's going to get a hat on the hat, block the right guy, make the right call. And uh, so that, that's, that's been the biggest surprise for me. And, and he's definitely, you know, in the mix to be a guy that you know, I think this fall we've got to get him a lot of significant reps and get him that game day experience. All right. Well, man, things sound, uh, you know, coaches are – you got to have players, and you got to have healthy players. So things sound just rosy right now for for you and and Coach Ross in the offensive line. I'll tell you, it's, it's it's if you look back from where we were this time last year, and from where we're at now, it, it's 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 night and day different. You know, even even from where we were in the in, in the spring, then transitioning to last summer, to fall camp, all throughout the season, and even our bowl game versus Houston, um, there's been a steady progression with the whole room. And uh, which is what you want to see. Yeah, you know, that's just a part of the developmental process. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. And we still have a ways to go. You know, we still got to have a great summer. And uh, you know, Coach Neighbors, our strength coach, and his staff have done an unbelievable job with these guys. Uh, even when I got off the road recruiting back in January, and just walking in the meeting room, these guys look different. They move different. And uh, I'm really excited about what we're going to do in the summer. I'm excited about how we're going to keep progressing in fall camp and. And uh, we we got a lot of good things uh, happening right now up front. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we appreciate your time, and good luck to y'all. Thanks for having me. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111-337-706-0111. If you would like to get in, now is a great time to do it. If you want to talk about any of the Final Four, men or women, this weekend, 
LSU baseball's big win over Tennessee. The Cajuns will play, as we said, James Madison on the road in softball starting at 1 o'clock today. Baseball starts a three-game home series against App State at 6. We talked about the Saints and the draft, Major League Baseball. Well, we had opening day yesterday, and now we're just hardly no one's going to play. I mean, ugh. Like, why act like football? Let's play. Um, you know, uh, it drives me crazy. But again, by, by the time we get to Saturday, I think it'll be more of a play just about everyday routine, which is what I like. Coach Deggs and I kind of agree on, on that theory. So any of that stuff you would like to discuss uh, now is a great time to do it. Again, LSU women will be on the air tonight. Pre-game begins at 5.30. Tip is set for 6, and that will be right here on the game. Um, we were talking before we talked to Coach Nord, and, and again, I really like talking to Coach Nord. Um, for the most part, I much prefer, and there's always exceptions to everything, talk to assistant coaches. They just go, I don't know, they just, I think head coaches, and, and Coach Dez is a little different. I, I think he's a little, he's a lot less PC than most head coaches. But they just don't go into the detail and just give you the, I don't know, I much prefer talking to assistant coaches for the most part. And Coach Nard is one of those guys. And um, I think, the interesting thing with the Cajuns offensive line is they got to figure out who the right tackle is. And then once they figure that out, we'll see how it, it kind of plays out. But they, again, you talk, you hear about Morrow all the time. And then um, if they end up playing Lance Burt, Landon Burton at center, which seems that way, uh, probably Jax will be the right guard. And then, but, you know, I mean, you know, now they're six, seven, eight, nine guy is so much further along than what it was last year. And that bodes well for the quarterback playing to the potential that we thought and the running backs, maybe. I mean, I thought the running backs were maybe the most disappointing of all the positions last year. And, and, and I, I guess you could argue the offensive line as well early on, but 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 you understood I guess the reasons a little more. But those kind of the running backs and offensive line obviously go hand in hand, and I just think the running game should be much better this year, and hopefully um, it will be. Again, the game hotline is seven zero six zero one 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 seven zero six zero one one one. I kind of I'm kind of going out on a limb. And thinking, and yesterday kind of picked Miami and San Diego State, and I've always kind of thought Miami was was a little was a dangerous team, and 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 they've played that way, and I kind of like their coach. Um, I also think in a year of upsets, and a in and maybe the most non chalk NCAA tournament. In my lifetime, are we really gonna pick chalk in the final four? <laughs> like, are we really? Are you really gonna like? I understand why everyone's saying UConn, 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 UConn because they've been by far the most impressive team. It's not even close. I, I I get that, but in a in a non-chalk tournament, 
Are we? Are you really going to predict chalk at the end? Mm, it doesn't seem like a chalk year. So I've kind of been intrigued by Miami from the beginning, and now that they're here, I think I'm going to go ahead and 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 and, and fight kind of the eye test because the eye test says UConn is going to win two games by double figures and win the national championship. I mean, that's what the eye test says. But I'm going to go with um, my, you know, kind of a little intrigue with Miami's and the fact that it's it's a non-chalk year. And so I'm predicting San Diego State and Miami and let me – you're doing the exact opposite or are you going with San Diego State? I will go to San Diego State, but uh, I'll go with UConn. Okay. He wants chalk at the very end to have a little normalcy. Yeah, but then I'll tell you, I, I would I would lean towards you know I would not maybe not I would really give San Diego State a good shot in that championship game though. They just they they defensively can can get you out of your comfort zone. Um, now, do they have enough inside to try to defend Sonogo of UConn if that's the matchup? Maybe not. I don't know, but I would I would not. It, I don't think it'd be a foregone conclusion that UConn will win that championship game. Um, on the women's side, I think everyone is kind of figured that South Carolina is going to win the national championship like since like October. And so, you know, if there's an upset, it would be kind of shocking, but you still got to play the game. So we'll see, you know, what, what, what happens there. But I don't think too many people are expecting to be surprised there. Although is this South Carolina, Iowa game going to be the most watched women's basketball game ever? It probably will be. Huh? It feels like that. I think it's going to be the most watched women's basketball game ever. Um, and I kind of think the Gamecocks are going to win by double figures going away. But we'll see if Iowa can, um, can, 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 can surprise. We'll see how that goes. So, again, another really busy weekend, college baseball, college softball, uh, the NBA is still, um, you know, getting going down the stretch drive. Women's Final Four, which is was sometimes is a complete nod um, discusser, but you know, especially since LSU's in it, and so many people are infatuated with Iowa, that you know, it it it's a it's a talker as well. And so again, lots going on, and then you know, more of the let's you know, getting baseball season underway. Uh, I did see that they, you know, there was 20-something stolen bases yesterday, so a lot more stolen bases than a year ago. So the early returns, I I didn't check the game time for, like, Rangers, Phillies, Blue Jays, Cardinals, Red Sox, Orioles, but most of the other games probably, you know, pretty good. The Astros game finished in pretty short order, not close to three hours. So I would think that in most of the games, the old, um, you know, the time clock kind of worked in terms of keeping the, the game time down. And look, there's going to be exceptions no matter what you do. That's just the way it is, and, and it's understandable, and it's fine. But it seemed like so far through day one, which is – as small a sample size as you could possibly have, 
Um, you know, some of their early rules kind of worked in the at least the game I saw. It nothing looked really unusual so far. All right, let's take a time. Uh, no, let's go to the game hotline. Is what I meant to say. Hello. Hey, Kev, it's Jason. How are you, What's sir? Happening? Good, man. It's funny you just mentioned stolen bases. That's why I was calling. Um, so I'm watching the Braves yesterday. Acuna. Let off the game with a hit. Gets on. Uh, Corbin's pitching for the Nats. He throws over one time. Acuna gets back. Throws over a second time. Acuna gets back. And then right after the second time, you know, with the new rule, Acuna looks into the dugout. And, you know, he don't speak English. It looks like he's looking at the coaches. And he, I see him put up, the, like, three fingers. And it's like he's making sure – to me, like he's saying, okay, he can't throw again, right? <laughs> and yeah. then the next pitch, boom, he takes off, but he slips. So he has to hustle back to first. And then the next pitch, boom, he takes off again, he ends up stealing the base. But if that's any indication to me, these guys, I mean, if these pitches throw over twice, I mean, they're going to be running. So I don't know if that means anything for the going forward or what the pitchers are going to do to adjust to that. But I thought it was pretty funny and pretty interesting all at the same time. No, I agree. Now, what you what you what you can't do, I think, is get too big eyed where you get too big of a lead because they can still pick you off. Exactly right. They can still throw over, but they got to get you. Yeah. And uh, and that's what I was waiting to see. I don't know if Corbin was trying to bait him because you know Corbin's a lefty, so he could you know he maybe thinks he can. And but for whatever reason, he just went home, went home. And Acuna took off, and he ended up stealing the base, I mean, easily. But you know what? uh, The other thing that I don't know that we've all really thought about that, because, again, that's the rule change that I'm still the most conflicted about because not knowing how it's going to work. Like, if you throw over the third time and you don't get them, we're all going to act like it's the end of the world, but there's a pretty good chance they're going to steal the base anyway. So what's the difference between a balk and a stolen base? Exactly. You might as well try. I agree. And I yeah. think that's what these pitchers are going to realize is that these guys are going to run anyway, and they're probably going to make it because they're going to go first move. Yeah. So as soon as I lift my leg, he's taking off. So I think might as well throw off and maybe pick over. him off. Right. You might as well try and throw over and get him. I wonder I if there's going to be more one, three, six caught stealings this year than ever before. Yeah, Exactly. But uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. It was funny. Uh, all right, Bef- him, like before you go, I'm going to ask you real quick. So all that. I got 12 go positions, and I've eliminated seven of them. Have you eliminated that many? In the first round, I'm talking about. Not for the drive, but in the first round. I mean, I have because I, like, I'm still leaning toward defensive end just because Cam's, Cam's age and, and the uncertainty with Turner. I just think it's probably the safest. You know, it's, it's kind of our one really glaring need right now because we got to get to the passer better. But at the same time, because I'm saying that, they're probably going to do something crazy, and I, I don't know. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I think we got so many, we filled so many spots. I mean, to me, I'm still leaning toward defensive end. If they stay at 29, um, if they, you know, decide to trade, you know, if Bijan falls by some reason or whatever, I could see them trading up or. But, you know, we'll see what happens. All righty, sir. Very interesting. Thanks for the call. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach Foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Got a few minutes left. If you would like to get in, 706-0111, 706-0111. Going into another busy, hol- not holiday, Next weekend will be the holiday weekend. Um, and for those, you know, we were talking about some unconventional schedules. The, uh, there will be a lot of unconventional schedules, a lot of, you know, probably a lot more Monday, Wednesday instead of Tuesday, Thursday in the high school baseball, softball scene. And um, not only are, for instance, the Cajun softball team, they're going to be getting back on Monday and then going to Lake Charles on Tuesday to play McNeese, and then they're going to have South Alabama coming in town that Thursday because of Easter weekend. So it is um, a lot uh, more of an unconventional schedule. Now they've had two weeks of no midweek games in a row after just a brutal schedule to start the season. And I asked Coach Glasgow on Wednesday, I kind of think and and. You know, who knows how it's going to work out. But I kind of think that second week of not having a midweek game, although they've had to travel, that's the only other bad thing about that. Not just so much that they have to travel, but they have to travel really far. That might mess up that what I was thinking is that maybe it's that second week that you can kind of catch your breath a little bit and, and, and be refreshed and actually be somewhat rejuvenated after the brutal start to the season and all the traveling they had to do. We'll see. But um, it is kind of bad that you had to travel so much. You got one weekend at home and not it's not so much that you have to travel. Like if you have to go to Hattiesburg or, you know, some place within the region, it would. But, but you have, now you're having to travel all the way to Virginia. And, um, you know, so they have to be going, oh, man, we finally got a little bit of a break. And now we got to make not just a trip, but a long, long, long trip. So. Probably wouldn't have a little been better for them had that James Madison trip been later in the season. But got to, you know, can't use those as excuses. Got to um, see if they can hit. So we'll see how much hitting they do and how that that uh, that series goes. Again, that game is at 1 o'clock, so a little earlier than, than normal. So, a lot, you know, by the time we come back on Monday, we'll um, – you know, we'll, we'll we'll know a lot about, you know, the Final Four on both sides. And if the Cajun baseball team, you know, obviously LSU's playing a huge weekend with Tennessee. If the Cajun baseball team, which really should be 6-0 and probably right now, had they not kind of let a game get away from in Mobile, and if they could, man, it'd be nice to sweep this series because you want to build up, you know, they're tied for first. Everyone, no one has zero losses in the Sun Belt right now. The Cajuns at 5-1 and one are tied for first with ODU. You'd like to build up as much as you can 
and get as much of a cushion as you can because you're going to have some really tough series down the road. So it would really be nice to sweep this weekend. And at last, I was told, uh, and it's not a surprise, even though you didn't have a midweek game, they didn't announce the Sunday starter, and I think that has a lot to do with how much will Moody need to be pitched in game one or two. You know, you got Hammond scheduled to start tonight. You got Nezu expected to start tomorrow, which is expected, which is not a surprise. Um, but how many, you know, Moody might need to close um, one or both of those games. And if he does, he obviously isn't going to start on Sunday. Coastal, Texas State, and Southern Miss are three of their last four series. So they are, uh, they, yeah, you're right. They need to have something built up, and the schedule makers. Did not do. I guess they did it on purpose to have some big series at the end that maybe can decide the conference. But I mean, that's a tough way to close. And the one in between that's ULM, which is a rivalry series. Even if ULM is not very good. Well, but I mean, I, I'd almost rather to play them late. Depending now, you don't know how the injury situation is going to be. That's always a guess. But I think I'd rather play them late and get off to a good start. I, I'm okay with that. With the schedule working out that way. Uh, but again, that's why you got to capitalize. Now, look. I could be wrong, but I don't think South Alabama is going to get swept every series. They're going to beat people. It's not. I don't think they're going to be like in last place or anything, even though their pitching just just not look good at all. But we'll see how South Alabama does moving forward. All right, appreciate the phone calls. Y'all have a nice weekend.